0: This is said to be one of the craziest outbursts of sport uh, that you're ever going to be able to see. And with the pandemic and how it's affected the rest of the world, you might as well just sit tight and take it in.
1: Welcome to the Fanalists, everyone. This is the first episode of our new weekly podcast where Brett Lyons and myself, Hayden Grierson, are going to sit down in the hot seat of the sports analysts to bring you the week of sports ahead from the perspective of a couple of guys that think they know sports. Why don't we kick off the first episode with a question that a lot of Canadian sports fans are asking. What's going on with the Raps? Can they turn their season around? I know it's still early. Brett, what's your take?
0: So I think the Raptors' biggest problem right now is that they're claiming to be this defensive team, and and defensive teams are supposed to win close games, and I'm not seeing the, the Raptors win those close games. We've seen them uh, lose a lot of close games recently and, and be really sloppy in the fourth quarter, and I think if you're going to claim to be a defensive team, you've got to be able to lock it down in the clutch moments of the game. And, and that's really just not what we're seeing from them right now. And that's where my concern kind of sits with the Raptors.
1: Yeah, I think the Raptors, like they've got a team that that can score. They, we've seen that. They can put up threes and they can win games just by dominating the that three-point line. But as soon as it comes back into their end... They they've just got nothing to go on, nothing to go after.
0: Not to say that there's no real bright spots, and and uh, I think um, Siakam's starting to really figure it out. Um, but again, that's more on the offense side of the court. We, it wasn't really uh, Siakam that you would say was the big letdown defensively. I think it's a a team effort defensively for the Raptors. So if you're gonna if you're gonna see that improve and then be the defensive team that they claim to be, they kind of have to slow it down and really uh, focus on building that team chemistry. And uh, they did lose some people, so maybe that's part of the problem. But I think I think if they're gonna keep claiming to be the defensive team, they really gotta work on that chemistry and, and bring it to that next level.
1: Well, yeah, and you mentioned that they lost some people. I think that's a, it's a big part of it. You look at their uh, their big men; they had Gasol and Ibaka that could kind of that could hold the paint and just knock everything down defensively. Now Baines and Land just aren't cutting it, um, and I think that's we've seen with with like Siakam and and like Ananobi, that now they're almost having to play a different role for the team, you know?
0: Yeah, you see OG in the paint a lot now trying to play that role defensively, and honestly, I, I don't hate how that's working out, but it does concern me uh, that that seems to be something more that he's doing, doesn't seem to be really part of Nick Nurse's his scheme and and if if uh, Nick Nurse isn't implementing it, then then it won't uh, be that effective long term.
1: No, because then you end up with guys that are just kind of running their own plays, right? And that that destroys team chemistry. And I I
0: don't think that we have that kind of high end skill. Like I think a lot of what the Raptors had going is a, is a chemistry thing and. And uh, if you don't have if you don't have that going on in the, the full team commitment, uh, you're not going to see the Raptors be the Raptors who everyone's come accustomed to seeing over the last couple of years.
1: Yeah, I think you're right. A lot of it you look at other teams in the league like look at the 76ers they don't have any, like, they've got some names, but they, they don't have those standout players. They've just got a really well-balanced team, and that's what the Raptors had before. They had balance across the board, and they had a bench that they could lean on, and I feel like they've just they've lost that balance.
0: I'm a little bit concerned, too. Uh, the Raptors seem to be able to identify players in the draft uh, that are maybe undervalued. Why can't they identify players that are undervalued on the free agent market? Like, um, Len looks like a mess. Like, it's not working. They're not playing him. When they do play him, it doesn't have a positive impact on the game. So he's not taking any of those minutes that could be available to him. Uh, we heard this whole hype train about how Baines is a really hardworking player who is going to do a lot of the, the kind of grinding and, and defensive play, and we haven't really seen that, or uh, help make shots available for the offensive players, and I, I just haven't seen that from them. And it's concerning to me that they can identify players in the draft that are maybe undervalued and, and get some real good value there, or undrafted players as we've seen before, but they can't seem to identify undervalued talent on the free agent market, and I would think those things are fairly similar. Like I, I just don't understand where the disconnect is there.
1: Yeah, I don't know. I guess maybe with uh, like looking at the the draft, you're looking at potential, whereas maybe they're they're getting hung up on the oh well, he's had a bad year this year, this year, this year, so they're not taking the chance that they would with a draft pick, right?
0: Yeah, I think they were trying to kind of do that with Lamb. Like, he was formal, he was a fairly high pick and a fairly sought-after coming out of his draft. But doing a little deeper dive into his numbers, there was nothing telling you that he was going to turn around and be a, a big player in the NBA on a consistent basis. And given what the Raptors had done, I had a little bit of optimism that they might have turned him around. But... It just doesn't seem like it's it's going that way.
1: No, no, and I don't think like like Baines just isn't isn't playing out how they wanted him to either. I think they coming from a guy like Gasol, who could just he would get the ball and fire it out, and then you get those three point shots. And he was great at that. He knew his position, he was he was clutch in those in like the playoff games doing that. And with a guy like Baines, we're just not seeing that level of sort of on like that level of basketball smarts.
0: Yeah. I would, I would say that everyone who was really kind of hating on Gasol at the end of the season and didn't think he was bringing what, what he should have been bringing. Maybe you should have been looking more towards how much a stepped up his game and not the fact that Gasol uh, had deteriorated because I think Dick Gasol's basketball IQ is really what what separates them. And, and you can see that that size and the, just the intelligence on the court is something that uh, was kind of taken for granted by the Raptors. Maybe they, they thought they had more of that in other players because of the impact Gasol was having uh, that remains to be seen I guess because we're not that far into the season but uh, there are an awful lot of concerned Raptors fans at this time
1: yeah so do you, do you think that concern is justified or do you think it's just like it's the start of the season they're still finding their legs
0: uh, uh, well we've done like you do a little bit of a dive into their numbers and they have the numbers of a 500 team and obviously their record doesn't uh, doesn't show that right now, but I don't think um, Raptors fans would be super happy right now if they were a 500 team. Uh, you've watched what they've done, and sure, the East has gotten better, but uh, we had some young players, and we we expected them to continue to progress. And uh, maybe the one concern was that Lowry was going to fall off, and Lowry's the one you're getting the most consistent effort out of right now, so. The things that we could have seen going wrong for the Raptors aren't what you're seeing going wrong. And and I can't see the fans being satisfied, even if they were a 500 team like the numbers say they maybe should be.
1: You think the Raps are going to turn it around, though?
0: I think that they, they've been showing a little bit of it right now, and I think I have high hopes that the pressure right now is going to lead to OG Ananobi maybe breaking out a little bit. He's got he's got an awful lot of minutes out there that he can he can have if he proves that uh, he's the guy. So uh, even though this year might not end up going the way that they wanted to, I think the Raptors can still make a push and turn it around. And I think if, if this year doesn't end up being a bird to the ground type of year, you're going to end up seeing that maybe this was a big year for OG Ananobi. He got a lot of minutes. He's in a lot of situations. Mm -hmm. Not that they hadn't used him a lot before, but he's really going to have to be the guy probably if they're going to turn this around. Yeah, Uh, Kyle Howard is a great player. and He has been for the Raptors for a long time, but I don't know that he can kind of keep it up at this pace.
1: Yeah, I think they're uh... (laughs) – They're going to have to rely on the bench a little more. Powell's going to have to start performing. And, I mean, Boucher's been doing well, but can they just lean on that and rely on that?
0: I think that Boucher has a big chance to, to be one of those guys that they can rely on. Ultimately, offense seems to be a lot harder to teach than defense. And he seems to be very committed to learning the basketball doesn't matter on what side of the court Uh, nobody expected him to do what he's been doing this year offensively and I understand that he's not the youngest player but he's also had a weird path in development uh, staying in Canada and coming out the way that he did so I, I think that there's a chance that with Nick Nurse and how well they have been on the defensive side of the basketball in the past that you could see his numbers take a bit of a dip offensively, uh, but with his the way he competes on every play, if he really uh, began to grow in the offensive side of the game or in the defensive side of the game, you're gonna really see him uh, be able to have an impact that that even uh, the Raptors who who were high on Boucher at different points are gonna be happy to have. Do you think he
1: could, he could be a spark plug for him, Then
0: I, I think he's kind of becoming that guy. Like while we're watching him become that guy. Like He's getting up there and getting some of those blocks and really getting us some rebounds. I'm um, sure he's not locking down his guy on the defensive side, but in reality, every time he gets one of those rebounds or or gets a block, he... He keeps it in the court, which is a big deal. Uh, It allows the Raptors to maybe come up with the ball or or allows the shot clock to continue to keep moving without allowing the other team to, to start a play. So even though his defense against maybe the guy he's supposed to be covering hasn't been perfect this year, he's doing a lot of things that do provide energy. He competes up and down the court on either side of the ball. He's always getting up there and getting after the ball, whether it be a big rebound or a big block. And I think you do see uh, that energy kind of transfer into the Raptors. I think you've seen them start flat and him come out there and fly around and really uh,
1: give them a little bit of a boost. So I, I'd like to think that he can continue to do that. Yeah, I hope I hope that he can. Um, I guess time will tell.
0: The other thing about it is – I think uh, the Raptors are known to have quite the, the ruckus home court and, like, being in Tampa Bay, that that's tough. If you had a Canadian in Boucher doing what he's doing right now, I can't even imagine what, what it sounds like in Toronto. And I think that that's something that everyone's kind of, you know, looking past, and COVID's been hard for everyone, but Toronto's in Tampa Bay – uh, limited fans, definitely not Canadians. And I think if you have a Canadian dominating uh, the board, the way that uh, Boucher has been doing at different points the season, he would uh, there would be quite the crowd response to a guy like that. And I think that would really motivate the rest of the team. And it's yeah. something that's kind of just getting looked past in the COVID
1: season. Yeah, it's true. The, like Having fans in an arena like that really does make a difference on the energy. It, it, it blows everything up, right?
0: Yeah, and I think uh, we've already had LeBron James and, and different stars in the league speak out about what it's like to play in Toronto and how the fans are. And I think maybe we're just overlooking the impact that the fans' energy really does have on our players on the court. Uh, we've heard a lot of players leaving Toronto. You know, say that they love their time in Canada and they love their time as a Raptor. And and some of those players go on to to do great things, and others, you know, aren't quite the same when they leave. And I think part of that has to do with the energy you're able to draw out of being Canada's team.
1: Yeah, yeah, I think you're you're totally right. Um... So earlier, you you mentioned that the East has gotten more difficult. Um, just this week, we had some big news with the Harden trade to the Nets. What do you, what's your, do you have a hot take on that? Um, I'm a little worried about it, honestly. Like, there's still only one basketball
0: out there, and the other team wants it. Plus, you have these three superstars where everyone seems to think uh, they might be fighting over it. Um, But the other thing is, all oh, lead talent tends to be able to work together. And and I think we're never going to know until we, we see what happens. But I'm worried, yeah, just like I said, there's only one ball out there and the other team wants it too. So you can't have three superstar teammates fighting over it. They're going to have to have a conversation about – about who's going to get the ball on the clutch moments, and, and other players on the team are going to have to commit to that. Uh, Kyrie Irving has never really been a number three on a team, uh, but if you're going to have Kevin Durant and James Harden be as effective as you would hope they would be as a Brooklyn Nets fan, they're going to need the ball on their hands a lot. So I think you're going to see whether Kyrie Irving can commit to the defense and really uh, take advantages of, of his opportunities when he has the ball and really facilitate for those two players. And I think he has the talent. I don't think anyone's saying that he doesn't have the talent. I think there's a lot of uh, character concerns about not only Kyrie, but uh, the whole three-headed trio there.
1: Yeah. Yeah, that could definitely be a danger. I know I was reading that uh, before they made the trade, they were chatting about it, and that was something that they had discussed and and said, "Well, no, like we're going to work together. We want to work together." Um, and they like they they seem to want to make it work. So I'm I'm hoping that they can because that could be could be a dangerous team if they can work together um but that's that's the
0: I'm yeah i think it is a big question i'm hoping that maybe steve nash being the, the type of player that he was can really uh you know talk to those guys and help them understand that, that you know being a superstar has a point but i think they're all there to win basketball games and and maybe having a coach who was a superstar really helps them all understand that it's not necessarily all about uh, having the ball in your hands. And I, I think if anybody can do it, maybe it's a rookie head coach that doesn't have the biases about those players. You know, like I'm, I'm sure he's heard things, but he's not as maybe connected in the coaching loop and he's not, you know, already heard all the bad stuff about James Harden or about Kyrie. He's going in there with a fresh slate. And I think that might be something that they can make work. He can understand what they're trying to do and, and he can find a mix that'll work for them.
1: Yeah. I think, I think you might be right there too. I, I think, um, yeah, I didn't. I didn't even realize that that he, they had a rookie coach in there. I haven't. I don't follow basketball quite as closely as you do, but uh, just looking at the players is, is what I focused on. Um, but that, that's a good point a, a coach coming in like that that doesn't have these preconceived notions of, OK, this is how this player is going to be. This is how this player is going to be. They can kind of just go, all right, this is how you're going to be and tell them what they're going to do. Right. And if the if the players are receptive to that, then you could be great.
0: Yeah, there's a little more weight to what he's saying, too. Like, a being being a former All-Star and doing the things he's already done in the league as a player, I think maybe you can level with them about the pressures of being a superstar and, and kind of talk about, you know, winning a championship and how important that could be to all of their careers and all of their legacies.
1: Yeah. Well, and that's the other thing I noticed while looking at the team, too. They're all getting older. I really wanted to come on here and just hot take and say they were an old team now. um, And that maybe they wouldn't do well, but then Harden came out and got a 30 point triple double in his, in his first outing. And that kind of shut that up. But, but it's still a factor. They are still like what Harden's 32. um, KD's 32. Kyrie's still like 28. He's still fairly young, but they're, they're borderline (laughs) past their prime. Right.
0: Yeah, and like we've seen some real concerns with with KD. I think we all hope that he plays for for a long time. Like you don't you don't see athletes like that, especially in his size and uh, the way he can play like a smaller player on the court. Uh, you uh, you want to see those guys last as long as possible, but obviously with. Uh, KD having the, the injury problems and and Harden coming in uh, looking more like a lumberjack than a basketball player. you got you got to wonder how much time they have at the top level of the game left. And I think they're going to want that championship when they hang it up. So this might be their chance to uh, have that
1: impact. Yeah, and I, I think the Nets organization is banking on them making it this year, maybe next year. Cause they gave away their future essentially for this trade. Like, um, they gave away a lot of young talent and a lot of picks to, to get them. So if they can't perform and they can't, uh, can't win it this year or next, then who knows how long they have. Yeah. I, I still have a hard time understanding. Um, mba
0: trades and how many assets move back and forth it seems like there's always a massive price to play as far as uh draft picks and it doesn't even always have to be uh a super well known name if they're the biggest name on the market then you're gonna see a lot of assets moved and if you're going to make those trades, you got to think that you're planning on winning or you see a window in which you think you can win in a certain amount of years. And uh, I don't think that window can be that large with the ages that you just listed off of those players. Like, you got four years, as I would say, the maximum that the Brooklyn Nets can win with those players.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, just I, we, we kind of broke down... The, the impact on the team, but let's uh, just have written down here what the actual trade was. So I'll just go through that. Um, so the Nets took Harden and a second round pick from the Cavs. Uh, the Cavaliers took Jarrett Allen, who I think that's a that's a could be a big player for them. Um, Torin Prince and Alexander Vesikov, or Vesikov from the Nets. Um, Rockets got uh, Ker- Chris Lavert, Rodion. Fucking last names. Oh. <laughs> uh Caracas and four first round picks that's big like that's what I find as a as a primarily hockey fan the four first round picks for players what I find ridiculous um and then the the Rockets also got Dante Exum and another first round pick from the Cavs yeah and I think if you're uh
0: if you're anyone in that trade you got to be a little concerned uh hearing Karis Levert uh, is going to be out for a bit. Yeah, after finding a lump on his kidney during his his physical. Uh, obviously, um, pro athletes tend to catch these things uh, quickly and and have uh, recoveries even to uh, some some fairly aggressive diseases and different things. Uh, but that's never a guarantee. So this could. Uh, be huge and I heard a lot of fans saying that you know this could be big for him That he needed a chance to to be a ball carrier on a team and really show that he could uh, break out so I feel for him he was about to get his opportunity and it sounds like uh, that might be slowed down a little bit but I hope that uh, it all works out and I hope that he really has a big impact but like you said You know, primarily a hockey fan. Like I'm always concerned when I hear about that. Like you hear uh, about the Carlson trade and how Ottawa ends up with two high picks last year, and everybody uh, rags on the Leafs about the Phil Kessel trade and who they could have had. And uh, I don't think anyone's telling you that Phil Kessel's not a good player. And if they did say that, you'd be telling them that they don't know much. So. Our reality is you need more than uh, uh, good players to be a good team. You need chemistry. You need a system. And uh, that's all remains to be seen. Hopefully we uh, get to see all three of those guys in the lineup at the same time. We really don't know what's going on with, with Kyrie, and I don't even know if he knows what's going on. So yeah, I'm excited to see what it looks like when they're all together in the same lineup. But who knows when that happens.
1: No, no, I know. Well, I mean, even in, in their first game together, just the two of them with Katie and then uh, Harden, they, they popped off. They, they played some of their best basketball they've played in a long time. So if that's a, any indication of what's to come for the Nets, then that's, that's looking good. Yeah,
0: I, I think that uh, you're really seeing Kyrie – uh, the lack of need to have Kyrie right now with how Kevin Durant is, is playing. And I think that that's big for his confidence coming back from uh, his injury and and uh, the couple ups and downs he's had recently. Um, so you might actually, even though this looks kind of concerning right now, these reps that KD gets uh, without those guys in the lineup might actually be Big for his confidence and returning to the player um, who uh, everyone thinks he can beat.
1: Yeah, yeah, and then I mean, with his age too, it'll be good once once the three guys come back and he can kind of slow down a little bit, right? And he, yeah, I think he can uh, like, share the load.
0: Yeah, hopefully stay healthy. Uh, not yeah. like I'm not gonna say that he didn't have good players to play with in Golden State because I think that uh, if we infer that, people are probably gonna shut us off and not listen again. But um, it's important to play with good players. That's what we found in the NBA. And, uh, you know, it's kind of a different league where the players force their way around and do what they do. I think uh, the fans have to adapt to that. Um, I can't imagine being one of these fans that loses the, the face of their franchise in, like, the James Harden situation where he just says... I don't want to be here anymore. Yeah. Uh, but I honestly do think it makes uh, the NBA and the NBA's news um, polarizing and it gets a lot of fans. It, it drags me in. It dragged me in even when I was younger and the Raptors weren't very good. Um, just because there's so much going on and uh, that kind of keeps you engaged.
1: Yeah. And I, like like you said basketball is it's a unique league in the sense that it is very much dictated by the stars like the stars of the teams change change everything whereas like hockey you lose a star and it sucks but you can probably maintain pace basketball you lose a star and there's only 10 guys in your lineup that can that can try and hold you up right hold the team back up without that one guy
0: yeah you've seen uh kind of with the Anders they lose Tavares but they get um they get trots and uh, his system kind of allows them to be a, a, a competitive team in the same way that Columbus is a competitive team and even though I would say that uh the Raptors are maybe like a a system-style team, and they've been able to survive without superstars, they do have good players. And in reality, a lot of these teams, when they get stripped of their superstar, they don't have a bunch of middle-tier players to replace them.
1: No, no, and, and often that is because we get trades like the Harden deal where all those middle-tier players had to go to get the superstar.
0: Or or in your exact same instance, like you said, you might have had middle-tier players had you had a draft pick, but you might have given up all those draft picks in order to get one of those guys.
1: Yep, and that burns you.
0: No, yeah, if we move into the UFC... Uh, Um, I kind of (laughs) fell into watching the UFC, uh, when I was fairly young with my dad. And then, uh, when all the sports went away and the UFC stayed around, it got me back as a fan. I, I, I miss sports and I miss seeing people compete. And, uh, there's always lots of storylines in the UFC. We've seen a lot of that recently and, uh, I was just going to touch on the Max Holloway fight from this past weekend, and I think it's it's really cool when you, uh, you think about it. Um, Max Holloway previously held the record for most strikes in a fight, and then he beat the record today, or the other day, this weekend in the fight, and then he only threw... Four hundred and forty-seven strikes that made contact, and four hundred and forty-five of those were significant strikes. So you saw a guy coming to a main event against another strong fighter in Calvin Qatar and and really dominate. Uh, they have very similar records. Now a lot of people are saying Max Holloway should have uh, Should have won the featherweight title back. Uh, He's already held it once before. A lot of people think that uh, he should have won in decision uh, recently. But I think uh, we've heard many people say that if you really want to win a fight, uh, you don't let it go to decision. And I think he's having a lot of a problem with that right now. Uh, So even though I I like seeing his numbers, I enjoy watching his fights because there's a lot of action, and uh, I must say that I'm not, like, a super well, well-versed UFC fan uh, to start. Uh, and I'm learning about the ground game. I enjoy watching two guys stand up and bang out. And uh, I enjoy watching him throw that many punches and make that much contact. But I have to wonder if he shouldn't be... Um, Maybe throwing less punches and trying to throw a little more force um, in some of them. Because he's having a real hard time with going the distance all the time. And, you know, ending up in a situation where he's got to leave it to the judges. And uh, I don't think leaving it to the judges does you any favors. Um, There's a lot of controversy on his last couple fights. Uh, around the title when he lost it and then when he didn't win it back and then even though he dominates this fight it goes to the judges again and i I think if i'm max holloway i just don't want to do that anymore he's got to do everything he can to not allow that to happen so that he can come out of these fights a clear winner and then there's no debate
1: well i'd say with the the qatar fight he was a clear winner watching any of the uh, the clips back from it. He dominated that fight, but you're right. You've, you've still got to finish, right? It's hard to maintain and say you're the best or whatever when you're not, uh, not putting the other guy down completely.
0: Yeah. When, when uh, for example, someone like Khabib and you're seeing a, a choke guys out over and over and over again, there's hardly any debate on whether whether he won the, uh, those fights or not. Now some people say that the refs call it too soon every once in a while, and I think we've all heard those conversations. But the refs got to be in there to protect you and and uh, protect your livelihood. You want to be able, sure, you don't want to lose that fight, but you want to be able to fight again
1: yeah. and
0: continue to to uh, compete. So the refs doing his best job of allowing you to protect yourself and can uh, live to fight another day. And I think that uh, if he's going to continue to dominate like this, uh, we we have to see him, uh, you know, be able to finish those big fights. I think he's got the heart of a champion. I love listening to him talk after the fight. Uh, He's got a lot of energy, but he doesn't seem, you know, like super cocky or not humble enough. I'd like to see him, you know, continue on his his path, but every time you leave it to the judges, there's always going to be that risk that it doesn't go your way. Yeah. Three takedowns attempted by both the fighters in this fight. So the neither of them was uh, really looking to go to the ground, and I think the fans find that entertaining, and I think... Uh, for the most part, that's where you see a lot of the big finishes. Uh, you know, you know, highlights of the night on uh, whatever sports station you like best aren't some guy getting choked out. So I appreciate the heart of two guys standing up and doing that, but you gotta have that one punch that makes contact and
1: puts your opponent out. Yeah. Yep. I think you're right. It is. It's like watching back the highlights from this, this fight. I was amazed at how well Holloway could just duck and weave. Like he looked like a boxer out there and it was, it was kind of cool. Like it's not something you see all that often in the, in the UFC is that, that level of like speed and dodging like that.
0: No, I remember kind of thinking that when I first started watching UFC, and expect it has come a long way. A lot of fighters are a lot more well-rounded, uh, but it kind of reminded me of a hockey fight. It's uh last punch wins kind of thing. Uh, not a lot of dodging, not not always a ton of blocking. A lot of trading big shots, and uh, as much as that's entertaining, the, the more I begin to kind of watch the sport and understand some of the the different techniques and uh strategies you can really see the the uh skill of someone being able to dip and dodge and weave like that
1: yeah and the the impact that that kind of skill has on a fight is crazy because like if you if you can avoid being hit then you can last a whole lot longer and clearly with holloway the way that he's fighting right now, he needs to last the whole time and he needs to prove that he's the best for the judges by fighting like that. Like, I guess that's his style just forces that.
0: Yeah, the only thing I could say for Holloway is maybe if he just, uh, in some of those bigger fights, obviously he dominates this most recent one, but I'd like to see maybe just a couple of successful takedowns for the points when you know that you have a consistent uh, track record of going long enough that it's up to the judges. Like, I I know that there's probably lots of times where he hasn't went that long, but that seems to be something that's plaguing him. And if he gets that opportunity at the featherweight belt again, I'd like to see him maybe attempt to take down, get those points, even if he just gets back up. You you get those takedowns, yeah. you score those points, and then you go back to doing what you're doing, uh, just to make sure that everyone understands how dominant a fighter you are out there. Uh, because he clearly has the cardio to go for that long, and I think that's a big thing about being a championship fighter. Uh, we've seen guys in the past who just don't have what it takes to go for a championship-length fight and fight hard for the whole five rounds, I think he has that. There's no question about that. He's just got to find some other way to score points if he's going to be a fighter that consistently uh, lasts until the judges make the decision.
1: So so how does... Uh... How does the scoring work in USC? I've I've not ai don't follow it super closely at all. There's points for
0: takedowns, but also the problem with that is if they're blocking takedowns, that can end up being being points for them going the other way. So if you're if you're all away and you're not super confident on the takedowns, then then maybe you have to take a couple guaranteed ones here and there when you've really rocked the guy. Um because I just think that uh, when when you're showing a one-sided type of fight the way he did recently, where he just kind of they really just stood and threw punches, uh, there's always going to be that little bit of question mark on whether you know whether that fighter just uh, maybe you weren't inflicting that much damage. You you hit the guy four hundred and forty seven times and he didn't he never went down like he he hit the guy almost four times as much as he got hit and it went to the judges so I, i think you need to see him you know uh maybe control on the ground for a bit and get those points
1: all right let's uh let's talk about the nfl we've got coming up next week the uh conference championships we've got the Buccaneers versus the Packers and the Bills versus the Chiefs so we've got two veteran quarterbacks versus two fairly young quarterbacks probably if Mahomes plays so let's uh, let's take a look at the Bucks versus Green Bay first and who you got there I'm
0: really torn on this uh, I used to be one of those guys that wanted to see someone like Tom Brady you know, maybe not continue to dominate. Uh, now, now the, the more i become a sports fan, the more you kind of realize that uh, you might as well take in those guys while you can see them. And I think there's something to be said about uh, the impact that Tom Brady has had on the NFL and, and uh, his, what's going to be a Hall of Fame career for him uh, without a doubt. So I, I'd like to see to see him continue to do what he's doing. Um, but I, I have read some concerning things about how if they don't force turnovers and they don't get the ball out of Aaron Rodgers' hands, he'll score clutch points, he'll hold the ball. The Tampa Bay Buccaneers won't have the ball enough to make an impact with their potent offense. And I think that's something that they have to be concerned about. And that's why I think that my money's on Green Bay. Uh, I just think that your quarterback can uh, take over the game. And uh, I think both those quarterbacks have the ability to do it. But I think with the potent offense that the Buccaneers have, Tom Brady is under pressure to throw the ball down the field. And if that's not successful, Aaron Rodgers will just choke them out. And he'll never get the ball back or hardly get the ball back. And that will result in them running into trouble trying to win this game.
1: Right. See, I, I've got the opposite point. I think the Bucks are going to take it um like like hands down i think they're going to take it which is not a not a super popular opinion i've seen reading online most people are saying the packers are the odds on favorites but i just don't see it i think looking at uh at the bucks record against quarterbacks that are that predominantly pass, which um, Rogers is—he he focused like the pass game is his primary source of points. The Bucks yep. are able to shut that down. But like, even look at Bruce uh, Drew Brees versus the Saints. He their their passing game was like nothing. They they were sub two hundred yards passing, and Drew Brees is. Typically a passing, pass first, run later quarterback, like like Rodgers. Yeah,
0: I, I just I don't know if I'm sold on the whole Drew Brees is healed and Drew Brees had his A game. Uh we've seen Drew Brees go to work on the Buccaneers during the regular season. Enough that people were, you know, saying that he was gonna uh, be the one that ended up, you know, putting Tom Brady out of it for this year. And there was a lot of questions about the Buccaneers early in the season. I think um, I think they are coming to stride right now. I I just don't know that. Uh, similar to. Uh, similar to the Brooklyn Nets situation that there's not too many personalities going on in there with Antonio Brown and Tom Brady and he's got so many weapons you know how do you make them all happy how do you how do you make sure that everybody gets the ball maybe Tom Brady doesn't bother with that maybe he knows that everyone will be happy if they're in the Super Bowl And he just does what he has to do to win. But I have to think that there's some pressure on him to uh, use all those weapons because they are available to him.
1: I think there is, there probably is that pressure on him. But, I, yeah, I think the maturity level of Tom Brady, and I I hate that I'm saying this because I don't like Tom Brady, but like you said, you have to respect his game. I think that maturity level is going to make him not give a shit what – about the feelings of his other players. He's just going to make sure they win that game and have fun doing it. No, because
0: uh, outside of following them when they got Tom Brady, I didn't really know that much about the Buccaneers previously. I've been reading a lot about what their fans have had to say. And... If you listen to their fans, they say that they've had the team for a while now. This team could have always won had they had a quarterback. Hmm. So if you're a Buccaneers fan, you better hope your team puts their money where their mouth is and you have a quarterback who is a guaranteed Hall of Famer, no matter how this season goes with you or not. This only really, I'm not going to say it doesn't matter to Tom Brady. But I'm going to say it matters a lot more to the Buccaneers fan base. So they better make sure that they're bringing their A game and they come out of this Super Bowl champions because they're talking a lot about how their team had all the pieces in place and how they just needed an elite-level quarterback who could utilize all their weapons and who could take advantage of the ball when they had it in the offense and uh, so this is a big opportunity for them. Uh, you you have Tom Brady, and now it's time to prove that your team is what what you thought it was.
1: Yeah, I think they're going to prove it. I think they're going to prove it next Sunday. And then at the Super Bowl, too. Um, All right, so do you want to go into the other matchup? Yeah, let's take a look at the uh, the Bills versus the Chiefs. So I think the biggest thing is, does Mahomes play? That's that's going to be a, a deal breaker. Um, he's he's out with a concussion. It's uh, they're saying it looks okay, but concussions can change like that, right? So, what do you think? Um,
0: I I gotta say I'm kind of concerned about it. Um, but there's two ways this can go. A lot of people who aren't Chiefs fans are saying that the Chiefs are a good football team and it inflates how good everyone says Patrick Mahomes is. So I guess we're going to see here. Are the Kansas City Chiefs a good football team through and through? Can they knock off the Bills without Patrick Mahomes? Or is Patrick Mahomes uh, the elite quarterback that lots of people are saying is going to dominate football for the foreseeable future? And I think uh, if the Chiefs come out and win this game without Patrick Mahomes, I'm, I'm really uh, not to say that Patrick Mahomes isn't a great quarterback. but People might be putting the card before the horse as far as him just being this guy that is gonna dominate the league for the foreseeable future if if the Chiefs go on to win without him.
1: Yeah, yeah, I definitely it it changes the the view of him in the media and in, in fans' minds for sure. Um, I mean we saw that once he was out with against the Browns the the Chiefs defense stepped up and they just shut they shut the Browns down. Um, so I mean, if if their defense can do that against the Bills and play play well, then it could change the change the game.
0: Yeah, one of the things that I would say uh, I'm kind of going to be aware of watching this game, especially if Mahomes doesn't play, is, is, is Mahomes maybe afforded the opportunity to do some of the eye-grabbing plays that people talk about week in, week out because of the team he has in front of him. Like, if he's playing on a different team, maybe he doesn't have all these highlight level plays because he doesn't have that time and space. And he doesn't have that confidence. Like you're seeing this defense, like you said, play really well. So I wonder if that's a confidence thing. If maybe he's on a on a worse team, he doesn't do these highlight level plays because he doesn't have the comfort level to do them. Yeah. And I think a lot of players could be can do a lot better on the high end side of the scale when they're on a good team. You see that in every sport. A guy plays really well when he's surrounded with other really good players. So I think this is going to be a big big chance to really see who the Chiefs are. uh, If Mahomes plays too, but if he doesn't play, it'll be a really big eye-opener on who the Chiefs are and what their team's all about.
1: Yeah, yeah, definitely will. Um, so what about the Bills? What do you what do you think about them?
0: I think that uh, – I think they're playing with house money, and that's kind of scary. Nobody thought they were going to be doing this right now. Not against – and especially not still playing in order to match up with the Chiefs. Uh, like, they're one win away from the Super Bowl, and uh, there's something to be said about playing with house money. They're going to go out there and they're going to play free and they're going to play loose. And uh, this is going to be a big opportunity for them. I think that uh, they should really be able to, uh, you know, kind of just play their game because uh, no one expected them to be here. So what do they have to lose? They go out there and they play the best football game they they have in them. and Maybe they come out on top.
1: Yeah, I think like that uh, the attitude that they have right now is is nice. I think it's good to see, um, just because like it's it's always fun to watch players have fun, and it's clear that this team is just out there having a good time because they didn't expect to be here.
0: Yeah, I, th- I think that's going to be a big determining factor. Where uh, and especially without Mahomes. The Chiefs are going to be under a ridiculous amount of pressure. So, not to be, uh, not to be that guy, but I, I think without Mahomes, this game definitely goes to the Bills. And I think even with them, I have it a lot closer than other people, just because everyone's talking about the Chiefs as a dynasty before they've even really won multiple times in a set of years. Everyone's just kind of counting this year as a win for them and then being like, well, when they take this win, we'll be able to talk about them being a dynasty, so we might as well just talk about it now.
1: Yeah, well, look at that team Canada at the world juniors this year, everyone was, Oh, this could be the best team, best team, Canada juniors team ever. Right. And then gold medal goes away and no one's talking about them. Right.
0: Yeah. And I don't think you're going to hear that conversation. You can't sit there and say that they're as good as that. 04-05 team with Patrice Bergeron and Sidney Crosby. Without the gold medal, it doesn't matter what careers these guys go on to have. Without the gold medal, you can't really say that you're the best team.
1: Yeah, yeah, you have and, to take it uh, up to be a dynasty.
0: Yeah, and, and similar to what we were saying about the Brooklyn Nets, uh, those players,
1: they're all going to go down as superstars.
0: But I think I'd rather go down as a winner.
1: Yeah. Yep, I think you're right. I think I think the Bills the Bills take it um without Mahomes. We'll see. I think the if if Mahomes doesn't play the Chiefs, the one thing that they do have on their side is that win it for him attitude, which I think if we're just talking attitudes that rivals the we didn't think we would be here, let's have fun attitude. So I, it's it's going to be a good game either way. I think it'll be fun to watch.
0: And I think one of the most important points to make is uh, the fans need this. Uh, all this sports, this explosion of sports we have right now, uh, there's about to be two really good football teams. We have the Canadian division in hockey, which we haven't even got to talk about yet. I think this is said to be one of the craziest outbursts of sports uh, that you're ever going to be able to see. And with the pandemic and how it's affected the rest of the world, you might as well just sit tight and take it in
1: because yep. it's going to be a wild ride. And you can sit tight and listen to us and take it in with us.
0: <laughs> yeah. I'm excited to hear it. I'm excited to uh Tell you that you don't know what you're talking about come part of the way through the season.
1: Yeah. Oh, I absolutely will eat my words, but we'll see. So let's uh, let's move on to hockey then. We've got our football predictions out of the way. Let's look at the hockey season. So we've definitely got a unique season for hockey this year. The divisional breakdown is going to be really kind of cool to watch how teams – adjust to playing the same teams over and over again. It's going to be like playoff hockey all the time. It's just, I'm excited. I'm so excited about this season.
0: I think, uh, like you said, playoff hockey all the time. Every game worth four points because you're only playing teams in your division. So like, you better not be letting two of them slip away. I think that uh, you're also going to see the breakouts of of some players that maybe you didn't expect because of uh, COVID and and uh, the taxi squads and how all this is gonna work itself out. Now like we were kinda of talking about the COVID's having an impact on all the sports and I think you're gonna see breakout players in all all the all the leagues, but hockey um, hockey's one of those sports where if you make your name on a team that really, really needs you at the right time, you have a name for the rest of your career. And uh, we've seen that with guys like uh, Danny Briere, always managed to step up in playoffs. I think you're going to see a guy—I uh, don't know who it'll be yet—really manage to step up uh, because of some sort of uh, COVID situation. And next thing you know, by the end of the end of the season, uh, people will be able to try to trade for him on their fantasy team, and he'll be the biggest, hottest story. So I think it'll be a really
1: interesting year for hockey. I, I think it's going to be a goalie that we see step up. The way the games are so tightly packed together, backup goalies are going to be getting a lot more play, and it's going to be really interesting to see which backup goalies can stand up to that.
0: I think uh, that'll be really interesting for Seattle coming into the expansion draft if it is a goalie.
1: Yeah, yeah, I forgot about Seattle. I forgot about the expansion draft.
0: Yeah, I think that that should be a huge opportunity. Uh, The expansion draft um, has a lot of teams concerned... uh, I think, especially because of how this season's played out. The fact that they might be minus a good player coming into next season. And uh, there's a lot of good young goalies, according to all the scouting reports Uh, Sorokin and uh, Shistorkin. There's some goalies, and uh, the two out Columbus that kind of had their coming out party last year. What? I think you, uh, you're you probably right. There there might be a goalie who really uh, maybe doesn't even just establish himself, but comes out to the world as a superstar. Um, we're seeing kind of Carey Price get a little bit older. And I'm not going to tell you that Carey Price is sort of an elite-level goaltender, but it wouldn't surprise me that within the next – Two years, you see another goalie be the goalie everyone talks about. Is the best goalie in the NHL.
1: Yep. Yeah, any predictions on who that goalie might be?
0: I was, I, if you asked me at the start of the season, I just said Sorokin out in uh, with the Islanders, but uh, we haven't seen him play very much yet, and they don't seem like they're going to make him the starter unless he forces their hand. Uh, but I think goalies have, uh, have looked really good in that system. And uh, with how uh, goalies become, if they build their confidence correctly and get wins, uh, I think you'll see him be that guy. Uh, I didn't really think Matt Murray would be anything when he went to Ottawa. Uh, but here he is, a 26-year-old goalie who's looking pretty good in Ottawa. Uh, without the star-studded cast in uh, Pittsburgh. And that's uh, really a statement towards how building that confidence at a young age, if you just believe you're going to go out there and win as a goaltender, uh, goaltending is a huge mental game. And if you can be that guy who has a good system in front of you and builds that confidence that you can win games you're going to see a guy just take off and be uh, be an elite-level goalie who believes he can win every night. And I think playing
1: in front of the Islanders' system, uh, you could really be that guy. Yeah. Um, well, he's going to get the chance to, isn't he? Didn't Varlamov just go down? Oh, did he? I didn't hear that. Yeah, I think he got injured, uh, what was it, two nights ago? Last night?
0: Yeah, actually. I, I, I have heard what the injury I was. I just not remember seeing a clip so, of yeah, it. yeah, I really hope get the opportunity. Yeah. Um, they always say that nobody plays defense in the KHL, so I've uh, been waiting for one of these Russian goalies to just show up and and really prove how good they are because if the story's true and there's no defense in the Russian league. There should be some stellar goalies to come out of Russia. You got your Sorokin and your Shistorkin. And then you have Askarov being a high pick in the last draft. I think your elite level goalies coming out of Russia. We might be on the edge of that.
1: Well, and I wonder um, if some of that uh them starting to come out now has to do with more of the the sports science of it and the the amount of analytics because or that that the teams use now because before they would have seen oh they let in this many goals but they had no defense in front of them right so now teams are looking at that going oh oh okay so like this is this is the team they had this is the play style they use they're looking into every little thing whereas before it was sort of more oh there's the stat line doesn't look good forget them
0: yeah and like you see guys like. Koskinen and different things they did manage to get picked out of out of leagues like that because they're 6-6 maybe not necessarily because they put up good numbers or they had good play styles I'm not saying Koskinen isn't an NHL level goalie even though there are some questions about that uh I'm more saying that he was kind of projected to be a, a really good goalie and Uh, He's kind of a 1A, 1B guy right now. The only problem is uh, Everton doesn't have a B goalie. So he's got to be the number one. Uh, But I think it's, uh, it's about time that you start seeing these Russian goalies. I think there is a little bit of bias towards older players in some of those European leagues, and that's why you don't see young goalies. But you've also seen uh, larger teams in European leagues take a bigger role in development of young players, and that's led to your Askarovs and your Sorokins and your Igor Shostorkans, just because they understand the... uh, the need to develop players. Even if they leave, you're getting some years out of them, and you probably get them when they come back at the end of their NHL career. Yeah. What do you say that about the pre- predictions? Yeah, that was a pretty big tangent, but. That's all good.
1: Tangents are fun. All right, so where do we want to start with the division breakdowns? Well, why don't we uh, start in the West, work our way East, and then go North? End it in the North. All right. Do you want to start? Sure. All right, so for the West, I've got Colorado going number one, which I'm sure a lot of people do. They've just got a team that can play, that they've proven over the over the past few years that they're an elite-level team. Um, second, I've got St. Louis coming in second, um, which is sort of a shot in the dark, but... I just have a good feeling about it. Vegas coming third, uh, San Jose making the playoffs coming in fourth, followed by Minnesota, Arizona, and Anaheim coming in last.
0: All right, so we do a little bit of a difference of opinion there. I think I think we're both on the same idea for the start of the league. I get Colorado coming in first. I got Vegas coming in second because despite their their cap issues and different things going on right now, they've just been uh, showing us that they're they're going to continue to win. Um, uh, nobody picked them to win in their first season. I kind of expect them to fizzle out in their second season and be nobodies and do what we expected of them their first year. And uh, they've had no interest in doing that. So I have Vegas in my second spot. Then I have bl- the Blues. I think they're just hard to play against. And because you're going to have to play against teams in your division so often, I don't I don't think you're going to be able to – the night you draw back-to-back with the Blues, I don't think you're coming out of that with a ton
1: of points. No, that's uh, why I put Blues in second.
0: Um, And then I have for my fourth pick, which is the one that's maybe going to blow people away, I have the Wild, because uh, I think that uh, they've been supposed to be an all right team for a couple years now. And even before that, they were supposed to be an even better team, and it never really worked out. Well, you're in this division with mostly California teams, and... California used to be like the death row of the NHL. And they have fallen apart and fallen apart hard. And the the strategy that those teams used to win of being big and tough and strong has resulted in and and just barely being fast enough to keep up with the league has resulted in them aging and being these, these teams that are no longer able to compete. And so I have the Wild in my fourth spot, followed by the Coyotes, who I actually think could surprise some people and make the playoffs. They they have a lot of interesting players, and they have a great coach. Uh, they work hard every night, and they're young in a, in a division where a lot of players are old. Uh, so even though I have them missing the playoffs in my prediction, I wouldn't be surprised that they, they did make it. And then I've had the Sharks, the Kings, and the Ducks. The Kings still have some pieces as well as the Sharks. So they're pretty interchangeable in my list. Like, I I don't see them just falling off a cliff and not competing. I don't see, like, Drew Doughty and Anze Kopitar, you know, going out there and embarrassing themselves every night. I don't think that those players have too much character to do that. Where the Ducks... They've been degrading over the past few years, and I honestly just don't know what they have left to give. Um, I think as soon as you saw Zegers get put down to the AHL, that I was pretty sure that they just weren't really looking to compete this year. This year's going to be a mess. There's not that much money to be made. I think the Ducks are just throwing in the towel and going for a good draft pick. Yeah, I think that's a little bit kind of sketchy because when you can't see all these kids playing in all the junior leagues because of COVID, I think there's going to be a lot of uh, hits and misses in this upcoming draft. But uh, the Ducks don't really have much choice at this point. They did a lot of selling in order to continue to be a dominant team and. Uh, they were really good, and they they did win. Like, uh, I want to say not all that long ago, but it has been a while now. Um, but they were fairly competitive for a long time, and I think their time has just run out. Yeah. Where the Sharks still have Carlson and Burns, and I think those guys are going to munch minutes. And they have some players there still with some high level skill. They still have Couture. They still have. Thomas Hurdle. Arguably your best player on the ducks is is Gibson. And uh, you can yeah, only say much. <laughs> yeah, you can only uh, you can only not lose with a goalie. You can't win. And I don't see uh, I don't see Getzlaff scoring 30. I just I, I love Ryan Getzlaff. I'd love to have him on my team in his prime. I think he probably still has a role on an NHL team, but he's not the guy anymore
1: that can force that Anaheim Ducks team to compete. No, that's, I feel like the Ducks have very much become a team that when I'm picking my fantasy team, if I see that they're on Anaheim, I just ignore them. I'm not going to touch that. Right. Like it's, it's just kind of teams, teams go up and down. It's a wave. Right. So they're just, they got to rebuild.
0: Yeah, and I think they have they have some prospects that are interesting. Like, I like where they're going. I think that instead of trying to force another year of being mediocre, I think they're making the right move Yeah. Uh, to kind of say we're done and we're going to take a year and we're going to pick a good player next year. I think a lot of teams try to hold on to it for too long and end up like Detroit. Uh, By the time Detroit was done, they had nobody salvageable. Yeah, I I think that Detroit just kind of got screwed because they were trying to continue their playoff streak. And ultimately, Detroit doesn't make, like, their their playoff streak might mean a little bit to their fans. And, uh, like, I I thought it was an interesting storyline at the time. But I think if I was the GM and I could see what's happened to them now, which obviously you can't do, I'd have pulled the plug. They had a lot of assets that they could have moved, and they would have been a good team again before you know it. And now they're in this purgatory of we had the longest playoff streak, but we had to pay people to take our bad contracts. We had to, you know, kind of we chased off one of the most – all league players to ever lace up in the league in Pavel Bat uh, because he just he didn't want to be in Detroit if they were going to be that type of player and uh, that type of team. So I think uh, that you got to pull the plug on that shit sooner.
1: Yeah, I think you're right. And I like with Anaheim, I understand the the idea of like uh, just calling it for a season, but as a fan, I I hate that. I hate seeing teams do that.
0: I think at some point you'll see teams retool sooner than they do now, but I just don't know when that transition's going to happen. Like I said, I think Detroit could have retooled when Dabsuk and Zetterberg and and some of their other high-end players who I'm kind of slipping on right now had more value, and they might have never really been as bad as they are.
1: Yeah, yeah.
0: I just think it's a difficult sell to your owner as the GM, and it's difficult as the GM knowing that if it blows up in your face, you're probably out of a job.
1: Yeah, it's true. A lot of people aren't willing to take the risk.
0: Yeah, I think you would need like a Lou Amorella or somebody to do it. Somebody who's not going to get fired because of two bad seasons. Somebody who's got that pedigree.
1: Yeah. Or an owner that's willing to give them a chance.
0: Yeah, I think maybe that's part of the thing. You might have to have a conversation with your owner uh, coming into it and be like, listen, I think this is a a good idea. I understand that the fans aren't going to like it. I understand that you might lose a little money in ticket sales, but I think you're going to make it back in the long run. I think that Detroit has had larkin for a while and larkin has never really sniffed a good season and he's a hell of a player and i think by the time that team's ready larkin's gonna be too old
1: yep and i think that's unfortunate because he's kind of pissing away his prime
0: yeah he's gonna he's uh he could have been a player that we'd have talked about for a long time Yep. You look at uh, Conor McDavid, even though I'm not going to put him in that conversation, he's got that ability to make elite plays at a high level of speed, which the fans love. But who can he do that with on his team? The reality is he can't.
1: No, not at all. All right, let's take a look at the Central Division. You wanna? Do you want to kick it off this time? You can start with your. Yeah. Okay. I, the central
0: is a little more difficult for me, honestly. Like, the Lightning are coming in on the top of everybody's list. And if they're not on the top of your list, uh, I don't know what you're doing. But the Lightning are at the top of my list, followed by the Prince, who I think uh, have a really big opportunity to do what they've been supposed to do. For the past few years, and really compete in playoffs, coming out of this division because I think they're going to be a little more fresh. I think that this division's going to be a cakewalk uh, for them, and uh, they're built differently than Tampa, so they're gonna they're gonna dominate some teams physically. I think that's super important. And then I have uh, the Stars, and then the Canes. I think the stars showed us last year that that if they're a team that snakes in the playoffs, they're a team built for playoff hockey. And I think that there's a lot of playoff built teams in that division at the top end. So I think they're gonna have a lot have a lot more time to play that kind of style in the regular season. So assuming that this COVID stuff at the beginning of the year doesn't uh, ruin their chances, which it might, that might end up looking stupid. But I think they have a chance. And I think the Canes really have the last spot in that division basically locked up in my mind. Uh, they've been stuck behind a bunch of really good teams previously uh, in the regular uh, division alignment. And they're just super pesky with a great coach. And um, I think they're on a totally different level than some of those other teams like Columbus and the Islanders that have a really good coach. Because uh, they have a really good coach, but they have the high-end skill. Yeah. Where, like, uh, on the Islanders, outside of Barzell, who they don't let play like a skilled player on lots of nights, I don't know who really has high-end skill. Uh, So I really think that Carolina has the right mix to be a team that maybe even even wins the Stanley Cup if they can get deep uh, because they play a solid system and they have talented players.
1: Yeah, I agree with you. I like how Carolina looks. I've liked them for the past couple of years, and I think they've just been improving. And then
0: here's where people aren't going to like me. I have the Panthers ahead of the Jackets and then the Wings and the Blackhawks. I think that uh, the Panthers are kind of a team where I don't even understand why they don't win. Like, as much as that doesn't make sense. No, yeah, on they have paper, a good,
1: they're a great team.
0: Yeah, they have a good coach. They have great individual players. Something's up with the chemistry there. Florida might just be or Sunrise at least, might just be awful for hockey. I don't know. That arena is cursed, I'm not really sure. But they, I just don't see them managing to slip in. And then I have the Jackets. I just i don't know that you can beat torts in a shortened season. Um, in a long season, Torch has the ability to implement a system and just grind his way. You always see them have a strong uh, mid to second half. And uh, there is no mid to second half this year. There's start and end. And everybody wants points at the end. And Columbus doesn't pick up nearly as many uh, at the end as they do in the middle. I think Columbus is gonna have a tough time with their Pierre-Luc Dubois distraction and The lack of ability to really implement their system because of no preseason, I see them just not being the team that we've all known them to be recently. And uh, like I said earlier, that might be one of the ones that bites me, but I just, I'm concerned about their ability to kind of limit the Pierre-Luc
1: Dubois distraction and implement their system in a shortened season. So I find that interesting because I'm not I'm not worried about the Pierre Luc Dubois thing at all. I think that he's he's the kind of player that probably before the season was like, yeah, I want out, but this is my team until we can figure that out. So I'm gonna play. I don't think that that's gonna impact their season too much, unless they do move in this season, then that changes. I don't
0: anymore. think that he's really a I'm just worried that like right now when he's not performing. At the highest level, people are gonna assume that he's ghosting, and that's gonna create some animosity. Right. And then I have the the wings. Yeah, the wings and the Blackhawks at the bottom here. I honestly think the Wings have some talented players, and I think they're embarrassed about last season. I'm worried about the Blackhawks just not being a team good enough to. Compete every night in this condensed season. They don't have centermen. Being a Leafs fan, I know that how much centers are important. We didn't have them for a long time. It was horrible. Uh, you have to win draws in order to win games. It's just that simple. Losing Kirby Doc was a devastating blow because I think Kirby Dock's good enough to be put on a line with Patrick Kane and be a good line because Patrick Kane has shown on multiple occasions that he can make a decent second line with one good player. But with the subtractions of Kirby Doc and Jonathan Hayes, I just don't know how they can have a good season. Yeah. And uh, uh, I'm not sold on Malcolm man. I want to see him be, be an NHL player. Uh, But he hasn't really shown that. And, like, he can't even string together a couple good starts in previous seasons uh, when he's the backup to prove that he is an NHL-level backup sometimes. So I just don't know how they can string it together. I think it's going to be more of a testament to how bad the Blackhawks are that the Wings will finish above them, not a testament to how much better the Wings have gotten. I think if we're in the regular old divisions and there's no COVID, the wings still suck and they're at the bottom. Uh, But because of the alignment, I think they're going to not finish at the bottom. They're going to finish just above the Blackhawks because the Blackhawks are a train wreck. Similar to how we were talking about Detroit. You just cannot keep paying and mortgaging the future in order to be kind of mediocre. Uh, but I understand why GMs and, and coaches have to do it because they want to stay in the league.
1: Yep. Yeah, I think you're right. I think Chicago is just – they're not having a – not set up for a good year. <laughs> All right. So I'll uh, I'll start with mine, I guess. I've got uh, – Yeah, bro. I've got Tampa as number one. I think that's that's a given. I've got Dallas coming in at number two. That is – that's a prediction that I'm making ignoring COVID. I think with, with the start of their season being dismantled like it is, I don't know if they'll come in at number two, but I'm going to leave them at number two for now. Um, yep. just to, to give them the benefit of the doubt. I've got Carolina coming in at number three. I think, like you said, they've got the skill. They can do it. They're a fun team to watch. I like them. Um, I just, I hope that they can get in there. Uh, I've got Florida coming in at number four, which, uh, so like like you said, they, uh, I think on paper, they've got such a good team. They just have to figure it out. And they added Anthony Duclair this year. I think he can, he can slot in there. They lost, uh, lost a couple guys, but I think that they could still have a great season. It really, a lot of it for Florida will depend on goaltending. I think that they could could definitely make the playoffs. I've got Nashville coming in at five. I think they just missed the playoffs this year. I think Florida's going to pass them, and I think like, although the the start of their season has already started to prove me wrong, but we'll see if that uh, their early success can has can last. But I just I think they've they've been on that edge of they could do great or they could do nothing for a little while and they've just kind of been hovering there and i think this is the year they're either going to do great or fall off and i'm i'm banking on them falling off a little more i might i might eat my words on that one number 6 i've got columbus not making the playoffs not quite 7 detroit eight chicago for the same reasons as you you said i think chicago just doesn't have it this year and detroit's not good, but they're better than what Chicago has.
0: Yeah, I just, I don't know. I'm like I i not going to say I feel bad for Detroit or Chicago fans, because in my opinion, especially where my heart lies with the Leafs, they've had it too good for too long.
1: Yep, it's, it's their turn to be at the bottom for a little bit. Fuck them.
0: <laughs> yeah, that's kind of where I'm at with that. Like, I don't know... Where that's gonna work out, I think that uh, I think that uh, I'll be really surprised if either of those teams can can find a way to slip into the playoffs. I'd be willing to bet a lot that they
1: can. So the do you want to take a look at the East?
0: Yep. Um, do you want to
1: start? Sure, I can go. So All I've right. got Philly. I've got Philly taking the number one spot. I think uh, Hart could carry that team, and they've they've proven that they've got skill. They can bang bodies, and I think that's that's important in the league right now. And it's gonna, especially in this division, I think that's gonna set them apart. Got Washington coming in in second. I think they're good. They're gonna have some goalie trouble this year, but they uh, they still have a really skilled team, so that's gonna make up for it. Coming in at three, I've got Boston. I think their Boston is just a good team all around. Uh, they've lost like losing crew, uh, crew hurts them but doesn't kill them. I think they've still got they've still got a lot of skill there. I've got Pittsburgh squeaking into the playoffs at number four. I don't know if they're going to. But I think that the power of Sidney Crosby will just will them into the playoffs, and I really want to see the Kapanen-Crosby line work out and have Kapanen have a really good year. So I think he's got he's got a lot of speed that could contribute to that that top line really well if if he can can make the top line. Uh, the Rangers coming in at five, Buffalo coming in at six, and the Islanders coming in at in last place. <laughs> Or wait, nope. Sorry, Islanders coming in at seven. Jersey coming in and last. I think those those teams are all somewhat interchangeable. I think the Rangers are going to have a better year than them all than the other teams. But then Buffalo, the Islanders, and New Jersey. I just I feel like they're all kind of in an equal part or equal state of mediocrity right now.
0: So I think that one might be the one where we're the most different so far. Oh, really? I got the Caps coming in at first. I just think that they've been to the dance. They've won the Stanley Cup. Alex Ovechkin will be a mainstay on my fantasy team until he absolutely blows a tire because the guy, everyone says every year he's supposed to be done and it's over. And then every year he continues to do what he does. He scores from the same spot on the ice. Everybody knows he's going to do it. And they still can't stop him. I don't even know how that works. It still blows my mind. It's blown my mind since he came in the league. How do you know that the guy's going to score from the same spot every time and you can't stop him? I don't know. But that, to me, puts the caps in the top spot. And then I have the Flyers coming in in second. I really like the Flyers. I think they're going to be absolutely fired up to have Oscar Lindbaum back. And everyone forgets that all the Flyers were saying he was their best player at camp until he went out with his cancer sign so up. I think he's going to provide so much energy to that lineup. Plus, I, I think he's going to be a dominant player. I, I see no reason for him not to be. I think it might take him a little bit to get going, but I think uh, – Plain and simple, you don't forget how to score goals. And I think he that's what he is. He's a goal scorer. So if they put him on one of those top lines, they have a lot of center depth. He'll have the opportunity. And I think that the whole team, if he has a year, will just be over the moon having that guy perform at a high level coming out of what he's been through over the past year. So I think that that's going to be huge. Like you said, they play a physical game, and I I just can't see uh, very many teams in that division matching up against them very well. I'm going to be the only one that says this. I'm a little concerned about Carter Hart. Uh, not that he's not a good goalie, but just the pressure is so high. Like, everyone's just anointing him as the, the best young goalie right now, and... I've just seen that go wrong so many times. And I really hope that everyone just taps the brakes and lets the kid be one of the best goalies in the NHL. But I'm concerned that that might get to him. And then I have the Rangers coming in third. In I think that they they rebuilded very fast. Like kind of similar the way we were talking about the people might learn to do. They just retool, and they got lucky with Alexi Lafreniere. Panarin doesn't look like he's going away anytime soon. He's an elite level player. I think he is the perfect player to mentor Alexi Lafreniere into being uh, the kind of superstar everybody thinks he can be. And then you have Shostorkin uh, in net for them, who I think in a year where there's going to be a lot of back-to-back games, having a young goalie uh, maybe can't take shoulder of the load and not be exhausted come playoff time uh, is going to be clutch. So I think that is big for them. They also have uh, let's, uh, they have the other Russian goalie there that everybody thought or that everyone was trying to trade for at the end of last season. And I uh, can't call him his name right now, but he's also shown to be a, a very good goalie in many spurts. Uh, as we all remember, Henry Klenquist was the third straighter for them last year. So both those goalies have a lot of pedigree, and I think that that could be uh, huge for them. Oh, it, it's Georgiev. Yeah, Georgiev is yeah. the backup goalie for them. I really... I think that uh, I think that you could see Shastor can be a true number one, but I don't think if I'm a Rangers fan, I'm super scared to have a one A one B and really see what
1: I have in both of those guys. See, that's I had uh, goaltending as a weakness for them. I just I don't know that these guys are ready to to lead a team in the way that you need a goalie to.
0: That is true. That is true. I'd be a little bit worried about that. The only the only thing I would say is that historical did come out of I think it was CSK Moscow. So like if we're gonna talk about any team in the KHL, being at an NHL level, I think it's them. And so I, he he has been a, a true starter and really you know shouldered the load and played against elite level players. Uh, whether it be mostly in practice because their team is is so loaded up compared to some other Russian league teams. Uh, but I, I I wouldn't be surprised that he can be the guy, and uh, maybe maybe not to the point of like a a full blown superstar starter for the rest of the year. But I think you could see him take the majority of the games and performed fairly well. I'm a little bit worried about the defense in New York. Uh, they seem very high-end skilled. I don't know who's really going to you know, make people pick their heads up a little bit this year, but you got to have high-end skilled offensive uh, talent on the back end in order to allow Panarin and Lafarnier to flourish. So I, I, I'm hoping that they can make all that work. And then I have the Bruins taking the last spot. I, I honestly am not really sure about this pick. The Bruins are pretty injured, and and the ages on a lot of their elite players is are starting to get up there. But I just can't bet against Bergeron and Tukaraf. To me, Bergeron, even though everybody knew he was going to be the captain. He should be fired up coming into this season. I think he might see a little bit more offense out of him at the start of the year, just a little bit of a, a bump from having the C on his jersey. He's a real elite player like that, and they don't really need to play a super offensive game in order to win, and they've showed us that a bunch of times. The only thing I'm worried about for them is I don't really know – what they're going to do on the penalty kill without Zdeno Chara. Everyone says he's slow and he's washed up and he's this and he's that. But the reality is, he munched all those minutes previously for them. And I don't know who's going to replace that. And they can be like, oh, this guy or that guy. But when Chara played most of those minutes last year, you don't really know that that guy can do that. Well, that's kind of where I am on the Bruins. I, I have them kind of in my bottom spot um, mostly because it's hard to bet against them with what they've done over the previous few years but I could see them falling off. And then to follow that up, I have the Penguins, the Sabres, the Devils, and the Islanders. I can't believe I'm going to say this but the Devils might surprise people. They've got a lot of young players and uh, and it's going to be one of those seasons that's really a grind and I could see them maybe slipping in and stealing one of those spots. I honestly think the Penguins are hitting at a point where they've mortgaged themselves to the max. I don't know what they can do. I think maybe they should do some more shopping as far as college free agents and uh, KHL and other European League players who look legit in order to uh, continue to lengthen out the uh, window for Malkin and Crosby. But I just don't know how they do it at this point. They've used a lot of their trade assets. A lot of the players they have playing in their top six. I'm not even sure you would know who they were if they weren't playing with Crosby. Uh, I just I just don't know. As far as the Islanders, I, I feel like... A lot of people are going to laugh when I say that I have them in the bottom, but I just don't know how that continues to work. I think Trotz, Trotz for me looks like one of those shelf life coaches where you just can't can't last very long because he's so hard on the players. I think you're seeing that with Torch and Columbus. Like, they're great for a short period of time, but they just – players don't want to deal with that at all times. If you have players playing the way the Islanders play, where they just give it their all every night in a condensed season, they're going to be so beat up by the middle point of the year, coming off back-to-backs, blocking that many shots, riding for that long. I just don't think they have enough depth and enough high-level players to continue to play like that for an entire season. So I have them hanging out in the bottom of my projection
1: yeah I, I agree with that about the Islanders actually I just don't think they, like they have a lot of skill but I don't know that they can maintain that skill like you said it's hard to play at 110% every night especially when all the games are there's so many back to backs and there's so many like like there's frequent four, uh, four game weeks like that's, that's a lot it's a lot to ask
0: yeah, I'm, I'm worried about them. And I actually, like, I feel weird counting the Sabres out. Uh, they had Taylor Hall. Everyone knows Jack Eichel would be an absolute stud if he was on a real team. But I don't understand why they why they don't want depth. Like, they just don't seem that interested in having depth players. It just seems to be like a revolving door, and I don't understand why, because they're not necessarily cap-strapped. Mind you, they do have Okopozo and Skinner on big contracts, that they're probably not worth... uh, I'm a little bit worried about their commitment to Hutton. I don't understand it at this point. Uh, Reality kind of showed that... Allmark was winning more games last year when he gave him the opportunity. And he's 25 now. Like, you either give him the opportunity or you've made him into a career backup goalie. And, like, you're trying to turn an older Carter Hutton into a starter because he's never got a chance. Well, come the end of next season, if you don't give... Allmark a chance to be your starter. Some other team will be paying him and giving him a chance to be their starter because his numbers have indicated that maybe you haven't given him a fair chance.
1: Yeah, I think um, a big thing that we're going to start seeing, especially with uh, the, the flat cap right now, is the chance that – A lot of teams will run a 1A, 1B goalie setup with two guys that they could pay 5 mil each instead of one star goalie that they're going to have to pay 10 mil, right? Like, it's uh, because of the cap hit, you're not going to see goalies getting the contracts that they, that, like, say, Price did, right? And I think uh, that works in the favor of a goalie like Hutton. Or, sorry, like Allmark.
0: Yeah, I think Omar, honestly, I still have hopes for him. I don't... Obviously, I'm not a GM for a reason. But... Hudson just doesn't seem to inspire confidence in the Sabres. And... Watching the Leafs growing up, I saw a lot better goalies than James Reimer. But there was something about how the Leafs believed in that shortened season that James Reimer, up until the point that we blew that game that none of us want to talk about, would make the clutch safe when the boys needed it. And, and there's something to be said about that and the confidence your goaltender gives the rest of the team. And as much as I understand that a goal is a goal either way, sometimes stealing one, that should have been a goal fires up the rest of the team and gets their feet moving. Where just making the saves you're supposed to make and letting in a star-studded goal doesn't have the same impact. And I just don't see that big save ability out of Carter Hutton. And that with the lack of depth, I just don't know where the sabers are gonna go. I can can see Taylor Hall and Jack Eichel having a great season and I'm still not making the playoffs.
1: Yeah, yeah, I can see that too. That's why I have them in at six. I just don't think they've got all the pieces together.
0: And I think their window is closing on getting the pieces together before they lose Eichel. Yep. All right, do you want to move into the Canadian division?
1: Yeah, I'd say this was honestly the hardest division for me.
0: I just Yeah, I would say so too and and uh, maybe it's it's hard in the way that some of the other divisions are close together so I saw them play each other more often where like teams in the west I saw Toronto play them twice. So I don't know like and I saw I, I, like, I, You only see the Sens play the Oilers twice. You only see the Habs play the Jets twice. So like, I just don't know how those teams match up. Uh, I did put the Leafs number one. I think a lot of people are. I'm not as confident on it as everybody else. I, I don't know how the bottom six all shakes out for the Leafs. Everyone seems to think these veterans were the right move. I'm not necessarily sold on that. Uh the Leafs did that a lot, used to go get old players and and try to put them together and build a squad. And it didn't really work. So I don't know why it works now. And everyone says, well, they didn't have the elite talent. Well, if you didn't think that Thomas Cabriolet and Matt Salid were elite, then I don't know what Leafs you were watching, but uh, that's where my concern is, is that we added some players in the bottom six that maybe aren't going to be able to play often enough to have the impact they could have had in an 82-game regular non-COVID year. Um, I have... I have the Jets in second. I honestly just think that Connor Labuck is the most elite goalie in this division at this point in his career. Uh, Carey Price will probably make me wrong or the Jets defense will be atrocious and make me wrong. But Connor Labuck was on a completely, entirely different level than everybody else last year. I don't even think the Jets sniffed going as far as they did without him. But he hasn't given me any reason to think that he can't continue to play like that. And I think the Jets, I don't think Patrick Laine is the kind of guy that's going to ghost when he doesn't get traded. I think he will score his way out of that team. I think he knows that if he just goes to work and gets 30 goals again like he he has previously, uh, that he can do it. And I... Watching their first couple games, I really think that he might actually be able to score 30 in a short season. Like, similar to Ovechkin, he's just shooting. When he shoots it, it is moving. And I think that very few goalies can can stop it if he picks his spots. And I think that... uh, as much as everybody's like, oh, get in the way of the shot, get in the way of the lane. We've seen it with Chara. We've seen it with Ovi. We're starting to see it with Line A. People cannot. They try and their, their brain just goes, no, like you're not getting in front of that shot. Similar similar to Shea Weber. You see guys starting to go down and then they move in the way in the last second. Their body knows that they shouldn't be getting in the way of that. And I think that a lot of guys try, but I think for some reason or another, it's just on that next level where you can't get in front of it. And I think that's going to be big for them. If Patrick Laine decides to score his way out of that team, it'll be good for the Jets and it'll be good for Patrick Line. Yeah. Because I think people like uh, Kyle Connor. And I think they have a good enough top six to lose him if they add the right pieces in the trade when they when they get rid of him. Like if they get a more solid second wide center that is a longer solution, a more long-term solution, I guess, than Stasny, or if they get a nice D piece that they can keep there in Winnipeg for a while. I really think that there there is an opportunity there. For them to lose line A and still be a good team, I don't think it would be ideal. I think line A has that star ability that Kyle Connor's never gonna have. Uh, something about being a high pick, you're just a high pick for the rest of your life. Kyle Connor could outscore sc- line A for the next four years, and people are still gonna know who. Uh, mediocre hockey fans who are still going to know who Line is and maybe not know very much about Kyle Connor. Yeah. But I don't think that says anything about Kyle Connor's game. So I leave the Jets in my, my top two because I honestly think Line is going to be a big impact for them this year. And then I have the Flames in my third spot. I had a lot of people I talk to a couple of my buddies about this are him and hawing at me about it. But I, I've watched my fair share of Flames games because they're on for a lot of double headers and uh, I really think that they need the goalie. Like they have a lot of pieces in place. They have a really good team. And uh, I would argue that they have a better defense than uh, Vancouver. So if they add Markstrom, Markstrom could even have a better year than he had... In Vancouver. Um, I'm not really sure that they have the bottom six to be an elite team for the entire shortened season, but I think that they will have enough points at the start of the year to get through to the playoffs. And then I have this. I have a real tough time with this. I have the Canucks in my fourth spot because I honestly don't think they took too much of a downgrade in that. They added Holpe. They have a great goalie coach. If that coach can get Holpe back to what he was, then Holpe is everybody's as good as Markstrom last year. They lost some pieces. But honestly, their, their major players are so young. They're almost guaranteed to take a step forward this year. I, I don't see how... They, they go downhill, and they have some interesting players like Tyler Myers. Like That's just a guy that I don't think uh, gets enough of his due. He hasn't had the same impact since he was rookie of the year, but I think that uh, he's not necessarily an offensive defenseman, so you just don't hear about him. He plays the game right. He's got a big stick. He's out there doing what he does, and they have other defensemen, like Jack Hughes, to to shoulder the offensive load. And Alex Edler's a super underrated offensive-type guy in that end. Uh, Way too many people let him fly under the radar. I've been burnt by him in fantasy my fair share of times. He's just a good player. I think that there's a lot of interesting players in Vancouver, like like Edler and like Myers, that... Uh, You're you're difficult to find another guy that could just go in and do what that guy's doing. They have an interesting skill set. I'm just worried about the, the bottom six of Vancouver being able to hold out. And that's why I have them in almost a tie with the Canadians because the Canadians have come out this year and really shown us that they're going to be a different team. And uh, I think they've got some more Claude Julien-style players in Josh Anderson. I think Claude Julien is the perfect coach to get Josh Anderson to be a dominant level player. So, So I have... Montreal sliding in just below Vancouver and maybe this in the playoffs, but I could easily see them in that spot as well. I I like that they provided Price uh, some pieces, or a backup goalie that will allow him to, you know, be a little more sheltered, have a couple games off, perform at his high level more often because he won't be as gassed out. I'm a little concerned about their defense. Uh, I love Romanoff. He looks great to start of the season. But, like, Jay Weber is elite when he plays. But there is just a, there is a huge hole there if they ever lose him. And, like, if they lose him, I don't even think they sniff the playoffs. And that's my biggest problem with the Canadians. I like their roster. I like their players. But I'm just concerned about how long a lot of those guys can perform at that level and whether you can keep some of their guys healthy for the time they need to be healthy. They also have a lot of unproven guys at their center group. I think uh, it won't take very long to get a book on those guys. I think right now they're really, really showing off uh, because there's a limited amount of info about them. Uh, You saw Cockney Emmy take a big step back once he'd been in the the league for a bit, and... uh, was really uh, starting to get exposed for some of his issues. I'm not saying he's not a great player, because I think he is. But I could see Suzuki taking a step back 20 games in when the rest of the league kind of realizes what kind of player he is. And that's why I'm a little concerned about the Habs. And then I have Oilers and Sens to finish it out. And people are probably going... To hate me for putting the Oilers outside of playoffs. But they've done limited things to prove to me that they have a complete roster. I like I get it. You have Connor McDavid. Like I get it. I think the whole league gets it. What I don't get is the fact that I think that I could have been their GM this season and came up with a better bottom six forward group than they have. Like, I don't understand what they're doing, and then they lose class bomb. I don't understand bringing back Mike Smith and not getting another goalie. I, I just, it doesn't make much sense. Like, if Koskinen falters and Mike Smith has to be the starter, he can play at an elite level, but he's not a young goalie anymore. Like, he's not going to play at an elite level for a long period of time and it's just that plain and simple, especially in a condensed season. He was an unreal goalie. People missed out on it because he played for the Coyotes and I feel for him, but it's over. Like, he's a backup goalie, I'm all for him being a backup goalie. I'm not all for him being a backup goalie on a team that doesn't have a bona fide starter. And if you think that Koskinen is a bona fide starter, I don't know what you're thinking to be honest. And I also don't know now what they're gonna do now, now that they they just lost this to a long term IR for at least I think it's thirty four days. Yeah. Uh that, that, that doesn't <laughs> well, like that that really concerns me. Like I read a report the other day that they're looking into amateur goalies in the area who are who are already in quarantine and already in Canada. Like, when you have a huge goaltending issue, you're going to tell me that you're going to put a start a backup in who hasn't played pro? I just don't understand how that'll work out. And well, that's why know, they David the- Ayers. <laughs> Sorry, what was that? Uh,
1: David Ayers.
0: Yeah, I honestly, uh, it would be a great story. I, I, I'd love to see it. I really, I would actually, it would be great. Uh, a lot of the stuff that God kind of shoved under the rug with him when he found out is that he lost his junior career to a, a heart problem. So if he, and most of those heart problems in this day and age are solvable, So like, not that I'm saying he could secretly be an NHL goalie, but I'd love to see him get the uh, spot just for the storyline and, you know, get a chance to continue living his dream. Uh, That's huge for them and it'd be a huge opportunity for him too. I actually have liked how the Sens has played to start the season. He's played really, uh, they've played really well. They've competed at a high level. I love their coaching philosophy. I love the players they added. They're not going to get bullied. They have good vets. They have a lot of talent coming out of Belleville. Uh, I've been lucky enough to see a few of them. I, But I just don't see them being able to continue to compete at that level. I think, like, the the style they're playing is so labor-intensive. I just don't understand how they could keep that
1: up for a whole year. That's I, I think Ottawa has a future. They definitely have built uh, an organization with depth there that give it a year or two more. They could have something big, but yeah, I agree. Right now they're they're at the bottom. So I've got I've got Toronto number one. Yeah. Oh sorry, go ahead. No, go ahead. Go over
0: your projections. Tell me okay. what you're thinking about the Canadian division. Or the North Division,
1: I guess. Scotiabank North Division. (laughs) Yeah. So I got Toronto number one. I still think that they're gonna they're gonna build chemistry. We've seen that they've slowly been, been getting better over the three games that they've played so far. I'm excited for the Jets game tonight. I think that I think they've got the skill level and I think that Keith is just still figuring out his game with the team, right? Like they, they played together last year, but it's, it's a whole different team. So without any type of preseason, really, they, they're still just trying to figure out where the pieces fit, but I think they've got a whole puzzle there. It's just a matter of piecing it together properly. I've got Calgary at number two. Like you said, they, they've got, a team. They were just lacking a goalie. I mean losing losing Brody does hurt their defense, but it helps ours, so I don't care. But I think they uh, they've still got a great team. They've proven that they can score. They've proven that they can play really well. And Mark Schroom net is just gonna elevate them to the point where it's they're gonna be a tough team to beat. I've got Winnipeg at number three. This one Winnipeg was hard for me because their defense isn't great. They've got a really powerful offense. Like they've got they've got that locked down. Their defense just isn't super strong. But if Hellebuck can play, how Hellebuck can play, then they've got. Then they're still they're still in the playoff race, um, and that's I think. My, my biggest takeaway from this North division is that no matter what, it's a race. Like all of the teams have a chance to be in the playoffs. It's not like some of the other divisions, like where there's a clear difference between playoff caliber teams and not. I think any, any of the teams in this North division could uh, blow us away. I've got Edmonton coming in at four. I think without the loss of Mike Smith, they make the playoffs They're on the edge without a goalie right now. I like the addition of tourists. I think that he's going to slot in really well there. He's, he was playing top line minutes and against top line players for a long time. And he's just not a top line guy. So I think playing on that third line, he'll be playing against players that are at his skill level and that'll be a good a good place for him. And Pouliourv has come back and says that he's in the best shape. I haven't really seen that proven yet, but I'm I'm excited to see that third line with Torres and Pouliourv. I think that that gives them depth that they didn't have before. And then it's just goaltending and defense that I'm worried about. But I think that they have enough assets up front that they still make the playoffs. Uh, I've got Montreal coming in at number five again like you said Montreal and Vancouver I've got neck and neck either one could take that spot I like what Vancouver has um, I think they've proven that they can play in the playoffs and everything like they've they've shown they've got a really good team but I think Montreal has this youthful energy right now that, is is making me rethink rethink Montreal as a team, and like like you said with Josh Anderson, I think that's a a big a big addition if he can play properly, which so far he's looked, he's looked good. And then yeah, I've got Ottawa coming in at. Uh, in, in last in that division. I think Ottawa really does have a future. Stutzel's look great. Stutzel's first goal was a beauty. It sucks that it was against the Leafs, but it was a great goal. Can't deny him that. And I think he's, he's going to be a difference maker on Ottawa. I just don't know if he's going to be enough of a difference maker this year to pull them out of last place over Vancouver or Montreal.
0: My biggest concern with, with Ottawa is I think they're going to break some team's heart. Like, somebody will be on the cusp of making playoffs and lose a couple important games to Ottawa, and that will go down
1: as the reason they missed the playoffs. I think you might be right there, actually. that That's a good, good way to put it.
0: Like, I can't tell you the year anymore, but I can remember being a little kid, and all that had to happen was the Leafs, had to win and then New Jersey had to win and the Leafs would be in and New Jersey was already well in the playoffs so they sat Broder and they put in Kevin Weeks and they lost and the Leafs didn't make it and in order to be a good team similar to what we were saying about Max Holloway earlier you can't leave it to some other team to make you make you win. You have to put yourself in the position to win.
1: Yeah, I think that, that team that might get hurt by Ottawa like that is Edmonton. That might push Edmonton out of the playoffs and Montreal or Vancouver in.
0: Yeah, I don't know that Edmonton, if, if they had one of those times where they played Ottawa, you know, like three times in two weeks, I could see them being in trouble. If you play Ottawa three times in two weeks, and you're the Oilers, and you got to put in your backup goalie, whoever that's going to be, because you didn't even claim Aaron Dell today for whatever reason, I'm really concerned about that. Like, those points are going to be important, and everything's bottom six is awful. Like, a I, I'm not going to sit here and say that I know that I could have gotten better players, but I would have gotten more interesting players. Like, I don't know. If you're going to have a bottom six, that's not going to be very skilled. you got to have a bottom six like Cooper Vancouver where they're going to find other ways to give you whether that be physical play or shot blocking or just grinding out and being tough to play against. And I don't really see that at, as evident. Edmonton. Everton's bottom six has no identity. They're just kind of all right hockey players who are just kind of general players. They're not too good offensively. They're not too good defensively. I think they should have went in a different direction.
1: Yeah, I disagree with that. I think, I think, well, their bottom line not so much, but I think that uh, that third line is is going to look good. I think that's going to surprise you.
0: I just don't know that Pulley Army's not going to lose his heart if he doesn't find his way out of those top two lines part of the way through the year. But I hope he doesn't. I just think that Dominic Cahoon is. Probably with Drysaddle until he proves that he cannot be with Drysaddle because they have that weird chemistry and they need to find a way to have McDavid and Drysaddle not play together. Yeah, and I don't see a world where Poliarny and Taylor Yamamoto
1: and Connor McDavid are the first line. No, no, I don't see that either. All right. That was our first episode of the fanalists podcasts. Uh, I hope you like some of our analysis. Uh, we're on Twitter at the fanalist, right? Yep. Yep. Yeah, we're on Twitter at the fanalist. We're going to be on Instagram. I'll get at the fanalist. Give us follows. Um, let us know. Interact with, uh, with us on Twitter. Let us know what you think of our opinions. Let's uh, start a discussion about things, right? That's what this is all about. It's about fans talking about things, analyzing uh, the sports that we love. All right. Thanks. We'll see you next week.